0: This was a vision. I'm telling you, these people are Satanists. As I sit here, they are Satanists. Look, the world is full of these kind of things. Black masses, mutilations, mutilations. The incubus, the succubus. I'm telling you, we gotta go down to the religious supply store. We gotta get ourselves a couple of gallons of holy water. My cousin Jerry's a priest. He can get us a deal. Do you want him to take your family, kidnap them, tear their livers out, and make some kind of satanic pate? Hey, once they get in here...
1: It's over, pal.
0: Trigger warning. This podcast may include explicit content that will take you out of your comfort zone and make you question reality. Listener's discretion is advised.
2: This is a breaking news episode. My cousin Brian from the Cleveland Schwill podcast joins me tonight to cover the new discoveries found in the infamous unsolved murder case of the boy in the box. While we now know the identity of the boy and the identity of the boy's parents, what conspiracy might we reveal? In what really led to the death of this unnamed boy. Brian totally outdid himself this time around. Excellent research and an all around mind blowing episode. I know I'm hitting you back to back with two true crime episodes. Which I usually don't do. But this information is brand new and has to be covered. So... I know you will enjoy this episode. There is a podcumentary available to watch on YouTube and to check out more from Brian in the Cleveland Schwill podcast, the Instagram and the link to the podcast are in the show notes. But before we jump right into the episode, a few shout outs I wanted to make here. Let's see. I've received a lot of messages And I have had some really wonderful conversations, and I just wanted to shout them out. I won't say last names for privacy purposes, but if you know, you know. I got a message from Jack. Thank you so much. Let's see. Isla. Sorry if I'm not saying your name right. Adam. Kathy. John. Dominique, Jonathan, Victoria, Simone, Jackie, Brian, of course, Leanne, Becky, and Bradley. Bradley sends me some of the best reels, and I just wanted to shout those out really quick. I definitely pay attention to the messages that you leave me, and I love interacting with everyone, so just a big thank you there. Of course, go and check out the podcumentary on the YouTube channel. Let me know what you think, and let's dive right into the episode. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening to another episode of Cosmic Peach Podcast. We have the one, the only, Brian Jason from the Cleveland Swill Podcast joining us again. Brian, how are you?
0: I am fantastic. And I am so glad to be back because I love you and your audience so much. And that's why I love being here.
2: I tell you what, I got so many messages on our Jack the Ripper episode. Did you? Yes, and a lot of people checked out the podcumentary as well.
0: Good, good. I watched the documentary, and um, just so everybody knows, that was, I, I didn't know that was happening when we originally recorded that episode, um, but I'm glad you did. it. I was very surprised at how well everything came out, and I'm really proud of you. I think I could speak for everybody in the family when I say we're very proud of you for starting a YouTube channel it looks great (laughs) I'm looking forward to seeing what's coming been checking it out I'm subscribed I hope everybody else subscribes
2: I I want to be able to subscribe to the Cleveland Schwill YouTube channel if you ever (laughs) decide to uh or get off the pot over there Brian you need to get your YouTube channel going
0: Oh my goodness, I'm having enough trouble keeping the podcast going weekly right now (laughs) with all this stuff. But I I think eventually that's in the cards. I mean, I'm not taking anything off the table. Um, Things are getting easier and easier as far as like, I've learned to edit so much better and and just the production value is going up and the guests are getting better and the audience is growing. So uh, it's going well.
2: I think that the easiest thing for me to do on youtube is to make the podcumentaries because then it's just the audio and then i add the pictures as the podcast kind of unfolds it's harder to do face to face like this because there's nothing to look at other than our faces i like to give people visuals of what we're talking about i think that makes it easier to comprehend what's going on in the podcast
0: I agree. You know, the only thing I'll say, and the fortunate thing about us discussing things today is we're both extremely good looking people. And when people come back to watch this, they'll be like, Oh my goodness. I'm just so glad I watched the documentary because I mean, I don't know what the topic was that they were talking about, but I know damn well those are good looking people I'm looking at. You can't
2: you can't beat a Hamilton. I swear we have the best looking family.
0: Oh, we do. I actually wore my turtleneck today.
2: Oh, yes. Very professional.
0: It's so professional. And I know many people are impressed with it. I got it at a thrift store, but it's still very impressive.
2: It is very (laughs) impressive. Did you get a haircut too? Looks like you got a little.
0: I've been changing it up a little bit lately, um, but I am scheduled to get my next haircut in a few weeks. So
2: leave the top long. It looks good.
0: Yeah, I've been doing that. I've been trying to. I don't want it too, too short. You know, I don't want it. Look, military. (laughs) No.
2: (laughs) But okay. So the listeners don't know yet why we've teamed up, but it is to discuss the infamous mystery of the boy in the box.
0: Yes. Yes. We're discussing the boy in the box um, that actually went under a couple different names. Uh, I think they started calling it America's Child at one point. Uh, but it's interesting because, like, it was shortly after Jack the Ripper, I think, like us recording Jack the Ripper, not the release of Jack the Ripper. Like, we recorded Jack the Ripper, and you're like, yeah, let's let's come up with another topic. Since we've come up with, or since we discussed this, there have been so many breakthroughs in this case, guys. Uh, and when I start going over it, it's almost like you. it was kind of freaky. And not even coincidental. I mean, we're talking about a cold case that's 65 years old. Yes. And by the end of this, you're going to know some very good theories. And you're going to know the boy's identity. You're going to know the boy's um, parents' identities. I mean, this is stuff that people have been waiting on for 65 years. Yeah. People with their whole lives researching this case religiously and never got this far so what you're about to hear and I have a very good painting of what happened I think um and even the events that uh happened afterwards in the investigation I have a lot of information to share so
2: there were even police and detectives who retired and kept working on the case because they Correct. were so dedicated to finding out who this little boy was.
0: Yep. Yep. Because what when you start de- learning uh, more and more about this, at, at first, you know, they're like, this should be open and shut. We'll find something pretty quick. Um mm-hmm. and then as it went on, th- they start relating this child. Like they're they're kind of like comparing them to their own kids. They're like, yeah. man, nobody's claimed this kid. Mm-hmm. You know, and they grow this connection to him they they start to pay for a, a burial plot um is donated and eventually memorials are put up in both the location that he's found um mm-hmm. and in the uh at the cemetery there's a uh, i believe there's a sign there too about the whole case and just these connections that these investigators have, and even some people that weren't part of the police department um have these lifelong connections to this case because they just get so drawn in. It's it's just such a mystery. And I'm going to talk about some of them too. One's pretty interesting. It kind of goes along a paranormal um, line. And even I was like, man, this is just, when you hear how I tie this together, you're going to start going, man, this, like, this is Crazy. This is insane how some of this stuff comes No,
2: through. I know. I know. So this may be the first time we agree on something.
0: Mm.
2: <laughs> we're going to make cosmic peach history tonight. Yeah, I know. We may actually agree on this.
0: Well, well, that, that would be crazy because the, the one thing that we like to do is we completely research these topics separately. And yes. we don't reveal what we're going to say to each other or what we found until we're talking.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: you see... So the audience is experiencing that in real time with us. There's no script.
2: No, Um, never. Never. Even when we're fighting, it it just makes it even even more interesting. (laughs) I (laughs) I have to say, though, I did watch a little video on YouTube of a guy, an elderly guy, and he said that, he remembers going to the supermarket with his mom and they had just pictures of the dead boy's face all over the supermarket. And he said, he thinks that was the first time they ever used actual pictures of the corpse to post all over town. And that was in it of itself, super eerie and creepy.
0: Well, what happened is when nobody came forward, one of the things that they started to do is they still have the body of the boy so what they do is they prop him up they dress him in clothes Mm -hmm. and they're like someone has to claim this child like they've already checked to see if um you know one of the old missing persons cases he would match the identity of any past missing persons and that's not really coming to any fruition so all of a sudden they go we're going to print 275,000 Of these uh, basically pictures of this boy like this with the description and how we found him, where we found him, you know, weight, the scars, uh, how his hair was just cut, how his nails are just cut, he's freshly washed, all this stuff. And so they post these pictures in hopes, and it's him dead, dressed in clothes, propped up. Uh, and they put one in with every single utility gas utility bill in the city.
1: No way,
0: yep, that's what they did. And when they actually came up with this crime scene, when they originally scoured the crime scene, they brought 275 police officers and detectives and they combed the entire area for, um, uh like anything they could find because this area was actually used in the town as like a dump. So people would dump garbage there all the time. And it's really strange. Oh, I actually have the actual number. So the Philadelphia Inquirer printed 400,000 flyers with the boys likeness and put it with every gas bill. It was 400,000. And that started leading to some people calling in, but it didn't lead to any real, information crazy.
2: I have that it was February 23rd, 1957, when a college student noticed the boy in the box for the first time.
0: Yeah. Do you do you know the story? So you're talking about John Prozin or Poroznik. Yes. And he's a junior in high school, okay? But depending on who you talk to, he's 18 or 19 years old. Now what people don't really tell, and I dug into old records and old, um, like, uh, articles that were written about it and his family was from Poland and they were immigrants and they had a strong distrust for police. So he comes across this, this body cause he's checking his illegal hunting traps in the woods. That's where he is. Okay. Across the street, so we're painting a good picture here, is a Catholic wayward house for young girls up through high school age. That's going to play into when the body's found the second time. So across the street, you have this Catholic school for girls. He's got his hunting traps in the woods. Strong distrust for police because he came from communist Poland, where they basically will come at you with the force of God at times. And if they need to set up a Patsy, they're gonna set up a Patsy, okay? Mm -hmm. So he doesn't wanna be the first one to say that he's found anything. He sees this boy laying in the box and he convinces himself it's a doll. He's like, that's a doll, but he's so freaked out about it. He gets home, he doesn't even tell his parents. They find out that on February 23rd, John found this child because police came back and knocked on his door. Then he tells them that. Mm -hmm. So the person who actually discovers this child, his name's Frederick Benoit, B-E-N-O-S-I-S. That's how I'm pronouncing it. I could be pronouncing it wrong, okay? So he's the first one to report it to police. Strangely enough, they're like, what are you doing here? (laughs) Well, he claims... He's on, so he's on his way to, uh, I think he said he's on his way to, like, check his animal traps or something, or he saw a rabbit run into the woods. But a lot of people know that this wayward school of girls is where Frederick would show up to spy on the girls across the street.
1: Get
2: out! He's a pedo!
0: Well, he is, a, he's like in college. <laughs> he's in college. And, you know, it's February and it's cold. And he's trying to figure out a way to warm himself up. But he's there. He's spying on the girls across the street. But while he's doing it, he comes across this boy in the box. So he calls police. And the first police officer to come is this guy. His name's Elmer Palmer. All right. Now, quickly, Elmer realizes this is not a doll. Okay, this is a child in this box. Well, across the street, a nun can see a police officer there. And she's like, what's going on? She becomes curious. So she comes walking over. And next thing you know, she's on her knees praying next to the child because she knows that this boy has been murdered. And within the matter of minutes, you have Two police detectives, five police officers, um, some of them coming out and saying things like, um, you know, that we knew right away that this child had been badly beaten. It, mm-hmm. and, and one of the police officers says, it still looks like he has the fear on his face in death that he must have seen in his last minutes. That's the way he interpreted it, right? Mm-hmm. So how did they find this kid? So they find this boy. He's in a box. And he's on the side of what's called Susque- Susquehanna Road. And they can tell it's that there's a, something.
2: Uh, it's a J.C. JCPenney's box Correct. that uh, Bassinet came in.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. That they tracked down later.
1: Mm-hmm. They tracked
0: this information down. There's a lot of interesting links with this box. They're actually, see back then with this box, and it's it's funny because they call him the boy in the box. But as I go into like some of the things that happened in this story, you're going to realize that the boy in the box are two separate things in my opinion. But they they find the boy in the box and the box, they're like, if we find out where this box came from, we're going to track down the individual They find nine of the 11 bassinets that are purchased at JCPenney. They find the people that bought them, and there's no connection to any of them, okay, to any of these bassinets sold. Now, at that time, though, nobody's using credit cards. So they had to, like, figure out through sales receipts and people paying cash. It took a long time to track all these people down. So there's two that are never really discovered. When they find the boy inside the box, they find him on the side of the road, not too far from the road. His esophagus has this brown sludge in it. And at the autopsy, they figure out that this brown sludge and his esophagus and stomach that he had eaten about three hours before he died. And this brown sludge is baked beans. Baked beans.
1: Yeah, that's what I found too.
0: And he's freshly groomed. He's got this recent haircut, like very mm. recent haircut. Some of the hairs are still on his body. Freshly tre-
2: um, pruny fingers, like he had just been soaking in the tub.
0: Exactly, pruny fingers, like he just been soaking in the tub. Freshly cut fingernails, and actually, some of the fingernail clippings are still on his body,
1: mm-hmm. which is
0: kind of strange. Uh, bruises all over. Um he had Dars. suffered extensive physical bu- abuse. They they figured out he's malnourished. I mean, this boy, they know he's between four and six years old at this time, but he's like only 30 pounds. Right. Um, they knew he's three foot six inches tall. And you already mentioned that his hands are are kind of pruned up and his feet are pruned up like they've been in water, but they can tell he's malnourished because his ribs are visible. Like, he's Mm -hmm. just really skinny. He's very underweight for a boy that age, between four and six. And they figured out um, his age mostly through his dental record. Not records, but just looking at his teeth, seeing that he had all baby teeth. Um, And that's how the teeth were coming in. That was kind of how they figured out his age. But... you know so he's not reported they find him on february 25th and it's kind of like a rainy day and he's wrapped in this plaid blanket it's a flannel blanket it has this like it's interesting because it's washed recently the blanket they know it's been washed recently and it's got this native american pattern on it and um it's like you had originally uh said you know they find it at Find out that this box comes from JC Penny. It's for a bassinet. And it's like I had brought up, I have a quote here from one of the policemen who's looking at this boy. It's like, even in death, there looked to be a lot of pain on the child's face, even possibly even fear. And that comes from Patrolman Weinstein, who was the second patrolman on site. is looking at this boy. And, and so you can just kind of picture how this boy looked, but he's freshly washed, too.
1: Mm hmm.
0: He's clean, but they were having a lot of trouble determining when he actually died because it's February in Pennsylvania and it's so cold, they can't determine how long he's been out there. Right. So, um, really, really strange. And they actually thought, you know, this is going to be an open and shut case. Somebody's going to come forward soon, or we're going to be able to match this to a recently disappeared kid. And then they're looking at the body some more, and they go, oh, my God, he's got scars on his ankle, on his groin. He's got an L-shaped scar under his chin. And what was very uncommon about young children at that time is when you you got vaccines uh, when you were in the 50s, they used a specialized gun that was pretty hard on you. And they'd shoot the vaccine in you, and you'd end up with a scar from getting the vaccine. He had no vaccine scars on him. So it's really strange that he has these, like, surgical scars on his body. Like, he's gone to see a bunch of doctors, but he's not a vaccinated scar. Especially for polio, which was a huge thing back then, because so many kids were getting polio. Yeah, that's...
2: you know, I bet your mom had this. My mom had one. It looked like a circle, but within the circle there was like 26 sticks. You know, it was like a yes. little So they were looking for um a jab that looked like that and they even I found that Let's see here. Where is it? They went around to schools, they went around to hospitals checking footprints. The kid had never been enrolled in a school. There was no, there, nothing led back with the footprints. I mean, they legitimately tried every avenue to try to identify this kid and they just couldn't find anything.
0: Yeah. And, and I have some stuff about um, some of the more in-depth details that they took. So they take fingerprints of this boy and, and a guy named Bill Kelly is the guy who takes the fingerprints. And I'll get into some of him later. Case is gaining major media attention by this point, too. So we already talked about 400,000 flyers that go out. The Philadelphia Inquirers, definitely confused at this point. Like, we put out all these pictures. People are writing articles. People put out articles that, uh, in periodic or um, pediatric journals Just hoping that like the doctor that could have performed some of these surgeries, these weird surgery scars that he has on him, like one of these doctors would come forward and be like, no, I worked on this kid. You know, I worked on his uh, under his chin or I worked on his foot or where they saw these scars. Nobody ever comes forward on that. They either never read it or refuse to come forward. They comb over the uh, crime scene with, like I said, 270 police and they find a bunch of stuff and all this stuff took a considerable amount of time for them to start to figure out what's happening here you know like so they don't know what it is but they find this blue corduroy cap with a leather it's a brown leather strap in the back and it's like brand new so they i have a whole thing about how they trace this back like they it's close enough to the body where they go this could be something but again this is also a dumping ground for the town so it's like am i picking up somebody's trash or does this have to right. be Find this white handkerchief with the letter G in the side of it across the street, they find a dead cat wrapped in a blanket with like some kind of stab wound in it. So they're thinking, <laughs> is this connected? You know, is it somebody sick, killing cats, killing kids, killing whatever it can. Um, <laughs> they find some child's shoe, but then they realize that the sh- the shoe and shirt that they find that are for children are just way too big for him. It wouldn't have fit him. But at first, they're like, is this his? You know, it's kind of new. It's washed, too. Like, what's Mm -hmm. it doing here? So they're finding all this weird stuff, and they find some child's scarf. Now they gotta, like, figure out what the heck? Like, where is all this stuff coming from? What are we gonna do with it? Um,
2: Yeah, like, what the fuck? Now yeah. they have a dead cat, a scarf, and a and a cap. What mm-hmm. are they going to do? How, how do you even begin to put that puzzle together?
0: You don't. So everything's taking a long time. They go to the hat shop, which is. They find out it's it's made at this place called uh, Philadelphia's Robbins Bald Eagle Hat and Cap Company, and they made twelve of those hats but they don't keep a record of their purchased products. But there's this woman behind the counter. She's younger. She's in her early twenties. Her name's Hannah Roberts. And she's like, Oh, I know who bought that hat. I remember that hat because we specially ordered or had to put that leather strap on the back of the hat just for him. Mm -hmm. So it was the only hat that they had made like that. And she sees a picture of the boy and she goes, oh, no, that looks a lot like him. Like, this boy looks a lot like the man that came in here, and he's, you know, got blue eyes, and he's blonde hair, and, and all this stuff. And police end up finally never being able to track this guy down, but, like, they had an idea. and Like, they're thinking, this might be our killer. You know, like, he's got this hat. Um, And she, like, I said, I think she said that the guy was in his early 30s or something. Yeah. But but it doesn't like end up coming to to any conclusion. There, there's no conclusions that can be made from it. But then you have this Bill Kelly who I talked about and you talked about the, the, the fingerprints and the footprints. And what's really interesting about Bill Kelly, who did this, he's not paid. He completely volunteers his time. And for an entire decade, he went everywhere. All the places you're talking about for 10 years straight. And tried to match, took a magnifying glass, tried to match the feet or the fingerprints to any records, either at hospitals for birth, or schools, or um, he's, so he's sifting through, um, you know, old hospital records, homes for unwed mothers, he goes to, uh, just in case like a a woman went there, you know, and and they had a record of the child there. um, And to no avail, like, he even moved on to thinking, okay, this could be the child of immigrants. So he starts checking out old passport photos to try to figure out. Wow. Who and he does this for 10 years, 10 years. He did this and found nothing finds nothing. And it's just like extremely sad, you know, like he had such an attachment to the, the case and to the kid and just in his mind and he never comes up with anything so it's like you said it's like dead end after dead end after dead end and and that's obvious because nobody could figure this out for 65 years
2: well did you come across the psychic that got involved
0: of course i did
2: did you come across the circus freaks
0: no. No I didn't.
2: You didn't? No. They thought that there was like this traveling circus and these people had like 10 kids and one of the kids could have been the boy in the box and they just discarded him and killed him but that never led anywhere but the psychic. What do you know about the psychic?
0: <laughs> well, there is a guy his name was Remington bristow and he was actually an investigator for the medical examiner's office and he is so obsessed with this case that he actually takes a thousand dollars of his own money up front in the 50s and he's like i'm putting this up for reward money we need to find out who did this um and i'm gonna put my money where my mouth is and a thousand dollars in the 50s is quite a chunk of change you know Mm -hmm. people are purchasing cars with that type of money back then and he even writes an article where he's like the this boy he you know the parents might have accidentally killed this child, and uh you know maybe they're just too scared to come forward, and uh you know if that's the case, and they didn't have money for burial, so they just put it up, but please, we need to figure this out, come forward with it. you know he writes this whole article, well, nothing's getting him anywhere, so he is actually the one." Who hires and consults a psychic. Now, this is where things get interesting. Did you know what he gave that psychic? The psychic goes, you have to give me something from the site. The box. He gives her two staples from the box. Oh,
2: wow.
0: So he goes to the crime. He gets two staples from that box, the bassinet box she comes back and she goes and this is this ties into my personal theory and I'll disclose it at the end she goes go about a mile and a half or somewhere close to the crime scene itself and you're going to come across a house now i have uh the description she gives him, and I want to make sure I, I find it because it's very interesting. The psychic says, Let me see if I can find it. Well, she's like, There's gonna be a house that you can you're gonna come across, and it's got a pond, it's got a wood railing, and there's like a little cabin in the back. Okay. Mm-hmm. And he's he's like, okay, well. I'll drive until I find a house like that. So Remington Bistro is driving and he comes across this house. And it's really interesting because he instantly, he's like, this has to be the house. He sees this cabin in the back. He sees, um, uh, what else did he see? He saw that, that pond, he saw the wooden railing Now he gets to this house and the house is this uh, of this man, his name's Arthur Nicoletti. And Arthur Nicoletti had it own has a foster family, like foster children, anywhere between like five to ten foster kids are in this house at any given time. And he has an adopted daughter there. And I have the name of his daughter written down because this page this all comes to uh. Play and in, comes into play later, and I have to find it, but um, so he finds the house he he's talking to this Arthur Nicoletti and he's just getting this weird, strange vibe, you know like he's got this feeling in his gut that something's off with this family, yeah they have all these foster kids the the adopted daughter is just a weird dynamic. He finds out that the adopted daughter has had four children already, all are dead three stillborn and one dies in an electric train accident at a department store at like four years old
2: listen that's gonna be red flag number 72 for me
0: Mm -hmm. first
2: off the psychic describing the house and then it being a real house and then just so happens the person who lived there is fostering 10 kids and one of them has had a record of four dead kids
0: Yeah, and all these children, like, are coming out of this, like, adopted daughter who's very young, and he just gets this feeling, like, Remington gets this feeling, like, they're covering something up here. Like, what are they covering up? I don't know, but I know in my gut something's off. It just doesn't seem right, you know. And Arthur Nicoletti's married, and uh, so eventually, you know, you fast forward a little bit, and... Remington's like you guys The detectives have to get over there and figure out what's going on and he finally convinces some police and detectives to go over there but you know nothing that they, they have pretty good alibis and they're not finding anything like out of place so Remington's like this is bullshit and that's actually when he hired the psychic it's after detectives have been there and he's like He goes to Arthur Nicoletti later in the 80s. And he's like, you go take a polygraph test. And I'm going to tell you why he says this, right? So when they go to leave the house, or I'm talking the Nicoletti family decides they're going to leave their house. They're going to have an estate sale. They're going to have like this moving sale. Uh He shows up and at that estate sale, he finds an identical blanket to the one that's found on the boy. And he finds... The bassinet that would have come in the J.C. Penny box. But... Yeah. So Remington Bistro's like, gotcha, bitch. You know, he's just like, I know it's you. And you know what else happened at that time? So the, his wife had died, and and Arthur Nicoletti married his daughter. No his adopted daughter. So Remington Bistro is like, this is it. He's he they had this child. They killed the child to cover it up for, you know, the, the you know, like to keep the family's uh, name intact. Mm-hmm. And that's and he basically like that's when he was like, you better. He, he got uh, police back there. He gets investigators back. They do question him again. And then when they don't find anything, Remington Bistro comes back and he's like, you better take a lie detector test. You better take a polygraph test. And when uh, Arthur Nicoletti's like, I'm not doing that. Of course, Remington's like, that even furthers his suspicions. Mm -hmm. He's like, what are you scared of taking this test? And blah, 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 blah. (laughs) So that's the information I have about the psychic and Remington Bistro. And it's a story in itself. Yep. And it's a crazy story in itself. Mm -hmm. And that house was a mile and a half down the road from where they found the boy in the box.
2: And the only thing that we can put into question, now that we know the identity of the boy, is whether or not this is our guy.
0: Correct. Correct.
2: If we didn't know the identity of the boy, I would say probability of it being Nicoletti is somewhere in the 90s to 100%. But now that we know the identity, yep. we've got to go down some other avenues.
0: Yes, we do. Yes, we do.
1: <laughs> what we, we most about?
0: certainly. Um. You know, I I came across there was a book written about a woman, and they called her M. Did you ever come across that?
2: Hell, fucking yeah! I came across that. She's the one who was in. Uh, she she was in either in like a treatment facility, or she was talking to a psychiatrist. And yes. her psychiatrist is the one who came forward because the stories she kept telling over and over again about what happened to this boy. That her mom pretty much was like going door to door selling Avon or something and then just came home with this kid one day.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I have her recollection of her story that she told the psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. And I have even further details. I even have her parents' names.
2: Oh, I do too. Okay. But before we do that, did you know even the Pope... At one point was like, let me bestow a blessing on all the detectives working this case that you'll find the identity of the boy. And then like, what was it like 10 years later, they found the identity of the boy or something like that?
0: No, I didn't uh, know that. Mm I
2: didn't know that at all. Mm -hmm. He gave them even a plaque and it was like, Hope, John, Paul, the whichever one it was gives his blessing that the detectives on this case will find the identity of the boy and then just recently but i mean that's probably got no connection to it i just thought it was interesting that even the pope knew about this kid Ugh. even the pope knew about this kid
0: yeah yeah i mean this 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 is a pretty famous cold case and and for a lot of reasons you know normally When you have cold cases, like, there's somebody somewhere saying, I lost a child.
2: Yep, I know.
0: Very rarely do you have it where a child is going to go missing unreported, let alone killed unreported. Nobody comes forward, especially with all the pictures, especially with the amount of people that have seen it. It's just such a rare type case that just when you envision, like... Yeah, you know, I have I have three kids, and uh, you know, you just start thinking about like their little bodies, like if it, yeah. they turned up like that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It, it just was. you can't help but think like that.
2: He was like naked though, too, in the body. Oh yeah,
0: just disgusting.
2: Just
1: disgusting in
0: every way, every way, shape or form. And you know, when we really go through M's account, um, her story that she tells the psychiatrist, who then relays that information. She actually used the psychiatrist as a liaison to the police and detectives Mm -hmm. because she didn't want to be um, directly involved with them. Um, You know, it's just like when I paint that picture in my head and you just think about how sick it is.
1: It's just disgusting, man. And if you think
2: about the last moments, it's even worse.
1: Yep. yep.
2: But where did you get started with him? The way I came across it was the psychic. And then I kind of went down that rabbit hole with the house and the foster kids. And then you said, hey, they found the identity of the boy. Then after I started looking into that, I realized it probably couldn't have been nicoletti because of the bio parents to this Mm -hmm. um so i looked at M. she's got a very compelling story
0: there's no holes in m's story by the way
2: no holes
0: the police can not deny any of her facts but they just can't corroborate her story or corroborate her story fully Mm-hmm. But that's the only problem with m's story and when you figure out who m is and who the davis family is and that's who they were talking about here none of them are still alive they've all been dead for years even martha davis who is m mm-hmm. has been dead for years she had no surviving children so there is nobody there to be you know basically say you're defaming my family or you're saying these horrible things without any proof. But what we can say for certain is this is M's testimony. So what I'll tell you is what M says happened through her psychiatrist to the police.
2: And she knew details of the crime that never were released.
0: The only one that I have that I think is Was lightly released once, but not to the details she said that I can think of. But the things that she does say, like, the only thing that, like, a lot of people are hung up on, and and I'll say this. So we know that the boy's name is Joseph Augustus Zarelli. That is the identity of this child, okay? They figured this out through forensic genealogy over the course of years, I mean, the bodies first exhumed in 1998 for DNA when DNA was young. They re-dug up the child in 2018, I believe, or 2019, and that was due to the fact of these 23andMe's and and the Ancestry.com's, and they're finding uh, more and more links, but I can get into some of those details later, but so we know the boy's name is Justice, or Joseph, Augustus Zarelli, and when M refers to her adopted brother, she calls him Jonathan, and people are, you know, confused by that. I'm like, just because they put on a birth certificate, Joseph, these people who gave this child away, that doesn't mean that the new family's going to call him Joseph. They're going to call him whatever they want.
2: And also she said that he lived with them two or three years so that means they would have gotten him when he was one
0: yeah they're because gonna call him whatever have, they up, want. they're they
2: gonna want. make up their own name
1: mm-hmm.
2: for him johnny or jonathan whatever that's the name they picked he was only one years old when they got him but before we put the cart before the horse yeah give me a timeline on M's
0: story well, as far as I know, I, I can give you the details. I don't know if I have a chronological date path. Okay. But we're talking about the child would have been born in 1953, January 15th, I believe, mm-hmm. 1953. Um, and I have the parents' names, but we can kind of reveal those at the end. And, and what's interesting about that, uh, as of this recording, I mean, these parents' names were, and, and the history of these parents the actual birth parents that are on the birth certificate for Joseph Augustus Sorelli were only named about five days ago. Mm -hmm. That's how new some of these details are. And more details will come out because the police are not saying, or the police are calling this an ongoing investigation still. So we'll see.
2: That's incredible too. Incredible after 70 years.
0: Well, the child... So sixty-five years since the incident, um, I do know it was the and January fifteenth would have been his. Um, he was born in fifty-three. It was his seventieth birthday, and that is actually the day that they put they changed it from America's Unknown Child on the on the gravestone. They changed it to Joseph Augustus Zorelli on the gravestone now with actual. Wow. Case. So and a lot of the people that we're talking about, like even people from the Zarelli family that are alive now who are vowing to say, we'd love to find out what's happened to this child. They were in attendance. Wow. To pay their respects now that they know that this child had some sort of relation or connection to them.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Though I don't know, I know that people on the mother's side said they were horrified by the events. I don't know if anybody came to the uh, the, uh, unveiling of the new tombstone. I, don't
2: I think they're trying to stay in the shadows,
0: possibly for possibly. fear
2: of retaliation.
0: Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, did you want to go tell your chronological story of what you think happened with M, and I'll just see if if it matches mine or?
2: Yeah. So I have
1: let's see okay they are pursuing the what's that
2: guy Nicoletti and that goes nowhere pretty much and then 40 years later in 2002 a woman identified as M told investigators that the boy had been purchased by her abusive mother from another family in 1954 M claimed his name was Jonathan and that he had been physically and sexually abused by her mother. And after he vomited up baked beans one night, M claims that her mother had beaten him to death in a fit of rage. Newsweek reports that the story M told seemed credible as baked beans had been found in the boy's stomach. What's more, M had said that her mother had tried to bathe the boy after beating him, which could have explained his pruny fingers. But ultimately, the police were unable to substantiate her claim. Thus, the decades passed and the boy in the box remained unidentified. But they have went back to her story and looked at it again and... The M story seems to line up with the bio parents, the bio mom, for sure, selling this boy to M's mother. Yeah. And they renamed him, and ultimately M's story is probably true.
0: So I'm going to paint a picture for your audience. And it's going to go right along with what you said. I'm just going to give a few more details. Got it. So there's a night and we're going to call her Martha because her real name's actually Martha. Her name's Martha Davis. Okay. Her parents, I can't remember her father. I thought I wrote down the father's name. Okay. But he's a physics teacher at the school and her mother is Marjorie Davis. and Marjorie Davis is the librarian at the school. So both parents work at the school. And Martha has several claims of being sexually abused her entire life as a child, just to Mm -hmm. get that out, guys, by the father.
2: I actually have it right here. She says that she was sexually abused by her mother, father, and mother's, quote, evil circle of friends.
0: Unbelievable. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Now you guys think about that, and I'm not throwing shade on teachers. Okay. They're very hardworking people and we shouldn't just like think they're all pedophiles or something, but we all understand just like priests are not all pedophiles. Okay. I understand that. What happens though, is people that want to get close to children, get themselves close to children because Mm -hmm. they're sick. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Okay. And they're perverted in that way. So these parents were perverted in that way the father that way and and the mother had always told the father I don't care I won't report anything you do as long as you don't talk about my perversions with little boys Mm
1: -hmm. that was the
0: mother Marjorie the librarian at the school signing the books now I do also want to say this that when you dig into like the neighbors the way the neighbors talked about the family when Others that worked in the school district talk about knowing these people. They all say they're stand-up individuals, very, very nice, easy to get along with, no problems whatsoever, blended into society perfectly. Okay, so they also claim that Marsha uh, or Martha had a um, history of mental illness, and I'm sitting there like, no shit. If she was sexually abused, no Sexually
1: abused.
2: But you know who else blended right in with society? Ted Bundy. So tell me something else about how great they were.
0: Well, I know. And you know, the thing that happens as we get older and we learn more about sociopaths and psychopaths. We know they're very, they're damn good at blending into society.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And they do get themselves in positions where they can be trusted in society And people would never think one thing or the other of them. The neighbors also said they never saw a boy at that house ever. So they're like, well, we can't corroborate her story because there's never been a boy. No shit. He was locked in the motherfucking basement.
2: He was locked in the basement his entire life. He's locked in the basement on purpose
0: for nobody to ever see. Anyway, so let me get into the story. I just wanted to put that out there that people have talked about this family, who they are, what they did for a living, And you guys put the pieces together, you know, Mm -hmm. like my feelings about it are irrelevant. The facts are they worked in the school district. One's a physics teacher. One's the librarian. They did have this daughter. They are the Davis family. They're in Pennsylvania. Anyway, so one night, Martha gets into the car with her mother. And they drive to a house. And Martha remembers Then a woman answers the door, and and she's holding a baby, and the baby's swaddled. She remembers that the baby looked like it had a full diaper and smelled bad, okay? Her mother's holding an envelope, and in the envelope, it's fat. Martha believes there's cash in there. There's something in the envelope. She hands it to the lady. She hears a man inside the house that she never sees say, hey, did you get the money? And the woman calls back, yes. Yes and they leave. When they get back to the house, her father's sitting upstairs and says, you cannot keep that boy up here. I refuse to allow you to keep that boy upstairs. He belongs in the basement. Because, you know, Martha's reasoning is she knows what the mother wants to do with this child. Mm -hmm. Okay. So since this baby's one years old, it's already been set up for failure. Which is,
1: you know, Not when you bit. really
0: think about how disgusting this is right from the get-go, guys. So Martha, Martha's seeing this stuff. I think she's like 11 years old at this time. And she's already experienced her own abuses, according to her. Okay, so she sees her mother grab two dog dishes, one for food, one for water. This is a fucking one-and-a-half-year-old, two-year-old kid, okay? So right. they got the dog dishes they make one of the coal bins downstairs in the basement where they had like a coal area to heat the house. There's a coal bin. They turned it into a bed and there's a drain in the floor that the boy uses as a toilet. Well, Martha claims to the psychiatrist that like, she believed the boy was mentally handicapped because he never talked or interacted with people correctly. And I'm sitting there thinking, if you're not socialized correctly, you're not going to speak, okay? And you
2: also have to be taught how to speak.
0: Yes, in my mind, you have to socially interact to be able to do that, like in any way, shape or form. So mm-hmm. if you're not getting that and you're being abused constantly, I don't know what the mind's going to do, but it's going to go into some sort of protective mode and you're not going to be learning or retaining that type of information. But right. that's just my argument against her calling Joseph mentally handicapped maybe he really was mentally handicapped and we don't know maybe he did have autism and we don't know but the reality is they didn't talk about shit like that back then anyway really you know I don't think they were diagnosing that type of stuff they Mm -hmm. just call people stupid or whatever but if you're enduring those types of abuses it's gonna screw you up regardless so the boy doesn't interact
2: right they become Reclusive, they become, you know, you're talking about he never knew anything other than being kept in a basement, no sunlight, no interaction with other children, no one loving on him, no one teaching him anything. There, there's it's probably less likely, rarely eating,
0: obviously, rarely even eating,
2: less likely he had a mental handicap and more likely that he was just a victim of abuse
0: yeah almost going feral in a way like you don't have human interaction except for they that martha said this once a week her mother would go downstairs for an abnormally long amount of time and you can only suspect what this woman would be doing down there for that long amount of time obviously martha didn't see it but knowing the history knowing what these people are claimed to be capable of according to martha Mm
1: -hmm.
0: probably some pretty disgusting type shit with a young little boy Mm -hmm. okay obviously it's already disgusting just if nothing sexual is happening but if she is going down there and and once a week and doing something sexual it's disgusting and then she would bring the boy upstairs after that uh uh, long amount of time and she'd bathe him once a week so he'd get a bath once a week up there now she always said that her family didn't have like normal dinner times or like meetings where they would all get together at a dinner table and talk about their day or something there was no structure like that and the and the parents always claimed, like, we don't have enough money for food. Like, even Martha said she didn't feel like she ate very often. She was hungry a lot. There'd be times where she'd go with only one meal or no meal for a day. Uh, and obviously, judging by Joseph Zarelli's body, he wasn't getting fed very often either. Uh, <clears throat> during that time, though, him being a physics teacher, her being a librarian, I'm sure they had plenty of money. They're just dicks. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm.
0: You don't have enough money for food, but you're going out buying a a, a, a kid. kid.
2: Yeah, yeah. And the the reason I know that's true is because she was eating more than he was. So this is a torture thing. What they're doing?
0: He's just a sexual plaything for her. Yeah, in the most perverted sense of the word. Yeah. we're going to keep you we're not even going to give you the mercy of death we're going to give you sexual torture
1: mm-hmm. no
0: pleasure
1: mhm
0: a- as a child you'll never play with a toy you'll never make a friend you'll like, never
1: you're,
2: watch you're, cartoons you're, you're, you'll never you're
0: fucking it. evil you're straight evil yeah the purest form of evil mm-hmm. like i'd rather see somebody just kill you then put you through this for three years and then kill.
2: Yeah.
0: You know what I mean? Like there's no mercy there.
2: And this just for the listeners, the people who sold him, there's no way that they could have known that's what she was going to do with him.
0: Well, if you think about the family, I mean, like, so Mary Elizabeth Abel, his mother actually had a daughter before she had, Joseph. And she gave that daughter up for adoption. Okay. And um, so this time around, she was 21 years old. There's no saying that Augustus Zarelli or Gus Zarelli, um, who was the father ever even knew the boy existed. Um, There's not even a good record of how those two ever even met. They do know that Mary Elizabeth Abel had a sister that lived in the same building that Augusta Sorelli, they tracked that down. Mm-hmm. So there's a possibility that there was maybe a one night stand there or they met there and maybe saw each other for a short amount of time. But there was not an extended period of time there where anybody knew of their a relationship with them. Um, most people didn't have up. trouble remembering her being pregnant with this boy. But obviously the boy's named after the father in both the middle name and last name. And then, you know, maybe this time around she's like, okay, so I do, I need money. I'm 21 years old. Like, instead of adoption, I'll sell the child. But, which I guess actually was kind of a common thing back then.
2: Yeah, more common than you'd think.
0: Yeah. And she looked at the family and she's like, two people who work in a school already have kids Mm -hmm. already. you know like okay this is fine you know this woman's going to be fine this woman will give my child a better life than i could now obviously i'm saying that on pure speculation but if when you look at something from the outside that's how i would see it
2: Mm -hmm. yeah
0: now unfortunately guys after these parents names and this is just in the five days since they've named them. There's like death threats going to the Zarelli family. There's like, you better say this. You better come forward with that. And it's like, really? Everybody's dead. Everybody no, I know. Had anything to do with that is dead, first of all. And you can't, you shouldn't be put up uh, on a platter for the crimes your parents committed. And I sure as shit don't want to be put on a platter for the crimes my parents committed.
1: Hmm. Um, mm-hmm.
0: Let alone whatever, and that's if they did anything. Like, there's no, there's no for, substantial evidence that these people did anything wrong. I think whether you agree with that, them selling a child yeah. or not.
2: She needed money. Maybe they were just hooking up. She got pregnant. She concealed the pregnancy. Maybe she already knew what she was going to do, or because he was one years old when, um what's her name martha what's what's Mar- mary name?
0: elizabeth betsy abel um you talking about the mother
2: the psycho mom marjorie. mom marjorie Mar- okay so when marjorie bought the the baby he was already one so maybe she tried to take care of it maybe she tried and then she was like no this is i just can't and i'm 21 i need the money And then her parents, maybe her father helped her arrange something with people of good standing in the community, a librarian and a physics teacher.
0: Who are around kids all the time. Yep. Who have a great, like if you would have checked into it again, when we started, we talked about what the neighbors said about these people. Mm -hmm. So let's say you vet this family. What are you finding? No criminal history. They're around kids all the time. They have their own children or their own daughter
1: hmm.
0: What's the problem? They have a house, good income. I'm a 21 year old girl, no husband in the 50s.
2: Yep. Still living with her parents, probably that have
0: no relation with the Italian man that I just slept with. That's gone. Mm-hmm. That doesn't even know this baby might even exist. hmm. You know, and again, that's all speculation. But at the same time, it's like this is pretty credible. You could see that how this, this would play out.
2: In unwed mothers, that was a thing in the 50s. It was a shameful thing yep. that you're not married and your yep. baby daddy doesn't know who the, that you're even pregnant and he's not around and you still live with your parents. And it was a shameful thing.
0: And it would have been hard for her at 21 to find a husband later. Yep. Which mm-hmm. she does eventually do. Her last name change, change, uh, changes to Plunkett. She meets a guy, uh, Mary Elizabeth Abel, she, uh, her name changes to Betsy Plunkett. And she ends up, I think, having like four kids with him.
2: And they stayed married? Yeah. So it's not that she was purposefully doing this to her baby. And
0: everybody that ever said they met her, like I have quotes about, they were like, nicest woman wouldn't hurt a flea, like, mm-hmm. you know, just really cared about people, cared about her community.
2: Was probably it's, a great mom to those other kids.
0: Was probably a effen- phenomenal mom, you know. Mm-hmm. And the thing that's really sad, too, is, like, you got to think about, like, if she knew how much that would have destroyed her, oh. it's probably better that she never knew that. Me as a parent, like, if I felt like I ever had to do something like that, and I thought I was giving my child away to a better home. And I find that out. It's probably good that it happened. Like we find the baby's identity 65 years later. That might've killed her. No it might, information yeah. like that. Yeah. She might've never been able to live with herself.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I, again, I'm speculating guys, but I don't think I'm too far off base here with.
2: That would also <laughs> explain why when she saw the the photos. Of the boy that she never stepped forward like, oh, that was my son that I sold because he was one years old. He's one. You don't know what that kid looks like now. And and he was malnourished. Exactly. So it's not even like you're getting a full-faced kid and you're like, wow, that looks like my kid. It's totally different.
0: Yep. Yep.
2: But to get back to the story of M.
0: I have the... Final moments here. So M's story. We talked about the family dinners. That's kind of where we left off. Uh, M does come forward and say. She's rarely fed. The boy's rarely fed. She does say that the boy gets a, sh- a bath. Uh, once a week. But he never gets haircuts. Never got a haircut. Um, so I'm assuming. That he actually probably had very long hair.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Which. Um, This is a side note. Some people think that there's a possibility that they may have tried to play him off like he was a girl if they ever took him out for any reason with long hair. Okay, I've heard that theory. Again, 100% speculation. But let's get to the night at hand. This This is the brass tacks of everything. So one night, Martha claims... She can hear Jonathan's feet being drug up the stairs. So Marjorie's like stomping up the stairs, but she hears like Jonathan's feet being drug up the stairs is the way she claimed it. And they get to the top of the stairs and there was like a little bit more resilience and resistance in quote unquote Jonathan at this time, or let's call him Joseph. Let's just call him Joseph for the rest of the time, because we know that's his real name. now. Yeah. Okay. So they take Joseph and push him into the bath. Now, the bath she set this time had excruciatingly hot water. That's the way Mirth put it. She's like, this water was scalding hot. When she pushes him in, He screams, starts splashing around. Obviously, he's being burned, people. Mm -hmm. He's being burned in this water, okay? So he's splashing around. He's screaming. She's like, shut up. Shut up. Starts smacking him right across the face. Hits him in his head. Hits him in his body. Hits him in his legs. He's so distraught, he throws up into the water. Okay. What is what does Marjorie do? Beat him harder because obviously that's going to work. He's Yeah, and he's,
2: she's now got to clean up a mess.
0: She's got to clean up a mess and god forbid you throw up when you're being mistreated to that point of torture. Hits him, his head goes back, hits the wall, he's now gone silent. So what do you do to somebody that's gone silent? Hit them some more. Obviously, you need to hit them some more. Because now they're not doing what you want them to do again, which is wake up. Right. So she's screaming, wake up. Wake up to this kid. Hitting them some more. Hitting them some more. She turns around to Martha and says, get out. What she realizes, this kid's not waking up. She tells him to get out. Door closes. She hears some splashing in the tub. So she knows she put the boy back in the tub, but it's dead quiet in there. Martha says she's kind of distraught, doesn't know what to do. So she decides she's going to go back upstairs and she goes to sleep. When she wakes back up in the morning, she comes back downstairs and Jonathan's last Joseph is sitting in the tub, but now the the water's been drained, okay? But what's strange is his hair has now been cut. His hands and feet are pruned from the bath water. His fingernails have been cut, and he's just lifeless sitting in 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 the bath. She sees her mother go into the other room, and she grabs a blanket. And she called it a flannel blanket, guys. Wraps the boy into a flannel blanket. They go down into the basement and out a side door to the car and put him in the trunk. Here is a bit of evidence that the police rarely told anybody and wasn't put out there for a lot of people to say. But they have this bit of evidence. And this is just mind blowing part of the story. So they keep driving along and they find this area where people dump a lot of their garbage. They pop the trunk and a driver stops because he sees a woman. And what he says to police as a witness, I saw a woman stop by the side of the road with her son, Broad-shouldered, probably 15 years old. Martha says, I never turned around to see a driver who pulled up and asked me and my mother if we were okay or needed help changing a tire. Okay? Martha was a tall, broad-shouldered, 15-year-old girl. He mistook her for, this witness mistook her for a boy. But Martha even claims in her statement to the psychiatrist and to police, I never turned around. He it's never like saw he my
2: face. Have saw the hair. or Yeah, like, and he like, just right.
0: assumed, you know, this woman's there with her son, broad-shouldered, tall. Mm-hmm. About, I think he said 12 years old. Mm-hmm. Probably pretty close. Right. From what he remembers. Because I probably ran into some people today. And I could have told you they're wearing a coat and they weren't, you know what I mean? He's recalling it pretty close. Well, when they, when they decline his offer for any help, there's two women by the side of the road. He thinks nothing of it, guys. Most people wouldn't. That's the reality here. You're thinking, man, we all think, man, come on, let's be honest. You're all thinking a man killed this kid. Everybody is
1: mm-hmm.
0: not a woman with her daughter. No. But the reality is sometimes it goes that way, right? So this is M's story. Pulls out the child and helps her mother carry Joseph Augustus Sorelli. And there's a box already lying in the woods. And they put him in the box. And what blew my mind is, you know, Remington just assumes this box is part of the murder and the crime scene. And we're going to find it. Probably pulled those two staples out of that box, sent them to the psychic. And the psychic's like, oh, this is where the box came from. And the box probably did come from those people. They discarded the box. And they discarded the box a mile and a half down from their house when they bought the bassinet that he saw at the estate sale. And, guys, I'm not even the first one to believe in psychics and all this other stuff. But this is just too damn good.
2: I know. I know. It just
0: lines up too well.
2: Because that's a dumping ground. They It's dump a dumping
0: rocks. ground, and the psychic describes the house to the T. They just so happen to have that bassinet. They just so happen to have a similar blanket and a screwed-up family dynamic. No, they didn't kill Joseph, but let's face it, it's kind of fucked up. <laughs> so, and that's factual shit we talked about the Nicoletta family. The Nicoletti family's got some fucked up stuff that happened.
2: They're fucked up, but they're not child murderers. They're
0: not tossing the baby in a box fucked up. No. So, anyway, that's basically where her story ends, with the exception of talking about how she's basically still sexually molested for years to come within this family. And then they're like, well, she never told anybody else. Like, she never came forward with this. Let let me tell you a little something about Martha. She ends up working. Martha Davis ends up working for Eli Lilly. Has a doctorate, um, master's degree in other things. Like, all in the sciences. She's an extremely smart woman. When she was put in, um, or when she was in college, she actually told her college roommate that her mother killed somebody. And her college roommate kind of just played it off like, okay, whatever, bullshit. Um, but here we are, and they're like, she did tell somebody, They just nobody believed it. And the first time she told her psychiatrist this story, because even in the 80s, when I was growing up, people didn't really come forward and say, hey, I'm kind of Looney Tunes right now. I need therapy. I need uh, all this. You didn't come forward with that but shit, Brian, guys. You, have to think. you
2: you're talking about a successful woman who has a doctorate master's degrees like she's no slouch why is she gonna now come forward and be like by the way and make herself look like a crazed loon she wouldn't you know that was probably very hard for her to come forward and do that
0: correct extremely hard for her now she first comes forward to the psychiatrist 1989 the psychiatrist doesn't contact police about this till 2002 so i'm going to give you guys a little something for reference that's hard for some people to understand in 1989 we didn't know what the motherfucking internet was Mm -hmm. all right unless she saved every article and memorized every little bit of this and every little bit of that, she, her story probably still would have been a little bit off. But no, she gets details down to the this, that, the other, you know, all the way down to the baked beans, all the way down to the esophagus having vomit in it and talks about the vomit, talks about a flannel blanket, the boys wrapped in a flannel blanket, talks about people pulling up to them when they're getting taking the boy out of the trunk that basically nobody knows about. Telling all of this stuff in 1989. 1989.
2: She's giving details that were never just... We all saw what he looked like. We all saw the pictures of the corpse. She didn't say he would have pruned fingers. She said he was in the tub all night. Correct. She not say... He should have short hair. She said he never had a haircut. But when I saw him that morning, his hair was shaved. She said he threw up baked beans. Mm -hmm. She said his fingernails were cut. These Mm -hmm. are things like, give me a break.
0: I know. And so I do. The father's name was James Davis. I did write it down. He was the psychic or he was the psychic. He was the physics teacher. And me. Marjorie F. Davis was the boy's mother, um, adopted. Obviously, these are adopted. Um, The only other thing detectives talk about, so she comes forward in 2002. She uses the psychiatrist as her liaison with detectives. Detectives say they think the psychiatrist is a pretty arrogant dude. (laughs) But when they also start to kind of investigate this a little bit more um when they question neighbors neighbors say uh martha is uh a quiet girl but she was always very intelligent and i can see that i could see yeah. that from this type of upbringing and obviously what she ends up doing for a living mm-hmm. and the marjorie f davis uh they moved to ohio they moved to the cincinnati area um, because the father, James Davis, dies in the sixties, like mid-sixties, I think like 1967 or something. Um, Marjorie gets uh severe dementia and ends up dying in a nursing home somewhere in the Cincinnati area. I and hope she
2: got elderly abuse.
0: Well, I hope they did. You I never they know any hope that is karma far up her p yeah. hole. You hope that karma does get these people, you know, like that's our, and our. that's what you want, you know? So you find out she's a, uh, Martha becomes a chemist for Eli Lilly. And, and just so we know, like in the eighties therapy is considered a taboo subject. And to be honest with you, people to this day still doubt her testimony because they believe she has mental illness, but here's the thing. Like it's the old like chicken and the egg thing for me. It's like, If you experience something like this, like, you're not fucking normal, people. God damn it, you're not normal. So I get it. You might have some mental illness. Does that mean that your testimony is completely invalid or worthless? Because people will find any reason. When you go to court, these lawyers will look at you and be like, so I heard you smoked a pack of cigarettes a day. Testimony invalid. Uh You know, anything you do, anything you do, your testimony is invalid. When you're abused to that point sexually and you finally come out and maybe fucking say something about it, is your testimony completely invalid, especially when it um, hits on all points? It'd be one thing to me if she came out and said all this stuff and nothing's matching up. Mm -hmm. You'd have something wrong when you're making up stories. your, Your facts are wrong.
2: Yeah, yeah. And you know what else? it's actually a credit to how smart she is that she went and got therapy.
0: Oh, absolutely. And God no, only knows she needed. Yeah. You fucking need it at that point.
2: You tell me somebody who's just looney tunes is going to recognize that they need to go get therapy when it's a taboo type of thing to go and try to get.
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And and actually guys, just so we know, uh, when the, uh, I did find this out. So after you know they were living in Ohio at this time, but police did want to get to the bottom of this. So they actually asked the homeowners that lived in the house after them that you know in the two thousands. They're like, "Can we come no, in?" No, they the house? did
1: not.
0: Yes, they did, and they went to the basement found concrete poured in what they thought was an old drain that that boy might've been using as the bathroom. They found piping in there for an old coal bin and the old coal chute, just like she said, and a side door exactly where she said where they would have went right up to the driveway to where the cars were. And could that all be the way most of the houses in that area were built? Maybe. But guess what? It still all adds up. It's all there, you know?
2: Tell me they saw a ghost of a little boy walking around in there. No,
0: they did not. Not that <laughs> what they said. Okay, maybe they did, but they're not coming out and saying it. And maybe he was <laughs> like, hey, get that forensics going, guys. Get the genealogy going. You're going to find out who I am real quick.
1: Mm-hmm. But,
0: you know, it just everything starts to add up to who this boy is her story is just too fucking good it hits on all cylinders and even remington bistro's story hits on all cylinders he just was going in the wrong direction without he knowing was so
2: him. close though he shouldn't have gave her a staple he should have <laughs> gave her the blanket
0: i know. well he didn't know though I know. know, That's one of those funny things where you're like, you assume they go together because they're found together. Mm -hmm. But it just so happens. And I love how in her testimony, she says, we see a box there. So we put the boy in it. And it's like, so the box was just there. But people don't think like that. You think, hey, we hid this kid in a box. And, you know, like you put it together because they're found together. Mm Mm-hmm just like you put the boy in the blanket together or, or or the cap together or you start finding other stuff there you don't know what's connected and what's not In hindsight being 2020 20, we all say oh yeah we should have known this we should have known that but when you find things like this you don't know what's linked and what's not
2: and you're just trying to find anything
0: yeah, and, and that Remington's not too far off knowing that, like, hey, hey, hey this, there's something going on in this family that ain't right. <laughs> I don't like the way this guy's looking at his daughter with his lights sitting right here. I'll tell you that right now. This blanket, this looks a little funny going on over here, but he wasn't off. He was just wrong. was just a he little was, bit wrong.
2: He was a good detective, though, for looking into that
0: yeah and and, uh just so everybody knows this Martha Davis her 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 middle initial was E you can find all these people's obituaries online if you ever want to read them (laughs) about more what they did but Martha E Davis she died in 2020 believe it or not right before they
2: announced it yes wow
0: And she always thought the boy's name was Jonathan, but I'll I'll say this. I I think she had it right. It was just they called him Jonathan in the house. I have a feeling that they renamed that boy Jonathan for some reason.
2: Maybe they always wanted to have a son named Jonathan. Who knows? But it is close to Joseph.
0: I know. That's what I said, too. It's close. um, But I don't think she got it wrong. I think they just called him Jonathan in the house
2: um well let me tell you this let me tell you this
0: yeah
2: i may have another theory Ooh. and it is a devil worship cult no i'm just kidding oh I'm- god damn it <laughs> i knew it i
1: was gonna say i know going. <laughs>
2: This is the first time on record that you and I came to the exact same conclusions.
1: Really? I I
2: said it more eloquently. Yes, that's it. Wow. Exactly. But I, yeah, I explored every avenue and I led back to him every single time and her testimony.
0: Well, it's, it's the best testimony. It's the best story. It matches everything at the crime scene. As you guys know, I, Anybody that's listened to anything I've done in the past, I really try to link as much as I can to who's there when something happens or what's yeah. going on. And even though we don't know for sure that they were actually there when the boy died, like we don't know that Em is telling the truth or in this case, you know, Martha sure damn well seems like she is. It,
2: it sure seems like it to me. And what a thing to make up with that type of detail, Brian.
0: Well, the reality is she either 100% believes every word she says and it never happened or 100% happened.
1: Mm-hmm. Like
0: there's no in between. You know, like she's she's not making this up. You don't go see a psychiatrist and say all these things. Keep it private for like 20 years and then that's too much yeah and, and tell people in 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 college that's what happened she believes that this is 100% what happened
2: you know she, why she probably told her college roommate that is because she just needed an outlet
0: of course and at that time who the hell like you know there and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with this mentality in society because it's probably right more than it is wrong. But, you know, you didn't question people's parents at that time. You didn't question authorities. You didn't question those type of people, right? They had authority for a reason. They had these things. But again, with power, comes responsibility and not everybody is responsible with that power. Right. And they all, they will abuse it. So absolute power comes with, with some, some consequence too, you know, like people are going to abuse that. And that's what happened back then, whether it be a man's word against a woman's word or, you know, and then now people can say the opposite. Maybe a woman's words too strong against a man's word or whatever, however people feel at any given moment, but in the time, You know, when that power is there and that power dynamic is there, it can be abused. Yeah. And you can always find evidence of that. Right. So these parents at that time knew working in the school district, them being parents, whatever, if she came out and said anything about it, they were going to be like, shut up, know your role. And basically you just, you didn't think you were eaten. Now you're going to be up in the woods next kid. We already killed one kid in front of you. You don't think we wouldn't kill you.
2: Right. And just think, if it was her making it up, you would think that maybe five, six years later, she would have just been like, ah, nobody's buying my bullshit. Mm -hmm. 10 years later, definitely probably not talking about it anymore. 20 years later, Brian, she never changed her story.
0: I know. And to remember the details like that. I mean, maybe she wrote them all down. I know she, but. That's one of something the, you don't the, forget uh,
2: right there. That's trauma. That's trauma.
0: trauma. And it's interesting you talk about the details too, because some of the police were like, well, we don't like how the psychiatrist has a lack of notes on the case. And the reality is guys, psychiatrists are under no rules to write notes. On cases,
1: right? Okay, they're
0: there to treat patients. They're not there to take facts down and do all this other stuff. And he might have been an arrogant asshole. Doesn't mean he's a liar.
2: Or maybe he thought she was giving him like a metaphor for something, and he was trying to diagnose a, a hallucination or something. They're going to be kind of vague. Like she said, there was a boy. The boy got killed. The boy and that the that Like this is just she, he's trying to treat her for her own sexual abuse. Her own mental state, you know, the- he's
0: trying to get her to a place where she can live.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's his main focus. It's not to figure out who the boy in the box is. That's police and detectives' jobs.
2: And she wasn't the one who said, hey, by the way, the boy in the box is this. She just told the story over and over again. And he put two and two together. And then she agreed, like going through her psychiatrist, that she would be willing. To have him contact the police about it. Yep. It wasn't like she was looking for notoriety or hey, look at me, my now, mom's the murderer of the boy in the box.
0: I can't. I wish I would have wrote this down. But anybody who's very interested in this story, obviously, you can find stuff about it all over the place, especially right now that they're releasing new information. But the the, the story of M in great detail. Is actually in a book and i and i can't remember what he gives her name they only they may only call her m throughout the book and they come up with different names for the parents and they don't say davis but people are figuring these people out real quick
1: Mm -hmm.
0: especially Mm -hmm. that they basically feel like they're free from defamatory lo- lawsuits because no surviving relatives are there. Mhm. And that's huge. You know, it, it's funny that we do talk about this stuff like that because like everybody's worried about getting sued and and I kind of get that to a degree. You don't want to say somebody's doing something when they're not. But also it's like Who the fuck's looking out for this little boy? You know, that's
2: my thing. It's like he's beaten,
0: he's put in a fucking basement, he's doing all you know. Somebody's got to speak for him. Starved,
2: sexually abused, and tossed out like a freaking piece of garbage. Yes. So that's my concern, and that's why the detectives were so passionate about naming him. He deserves a name.
0: He deserved a name on that tombstone. Um, He deserved a tombstone. He deserved a burial plot. And all that stuff was donated. Um, And I actually have, there's memorials put up, guys, where his body was found on that Susquehanna Road. And at that time, it was a rural area. I guess it's kind of built up now. And I don't think people dump their trash there anymore. Right. You know, like it's, so he was originally buried in a place called Potter's field. Um, And I don't know what the grave marker was. It might've been uh, America's unknown child or something like that. Yeah,
2: it said America's unknown child.
0: And, and, And like had a little story about him. And I know that that's what the other memorial said, but then in 1998, this is like when DNA really started to take off. And they, they got a court order to be able to exhume the body, and they took DNA from one of his teeth. But that was, like, really the infancy. Like, DNA testing was in its infancy. And so they, somebody donated a plot, and he was moved to Ivy Hill Cemetery in Cedar Brook, Philadelphia. Um, probably Philadelphia County. And on January 13th of 2023, that was his 70th birthday. They put a new memorial up and it contained his full name an image of him. And uh, along with the story. Mm -hmm. So he's got something there now. Now I did take some notes and this is a story in itself for people who follow your channel and I, and I, can understand, like, I know you love to co- cover conspiracy theories, but uh, even I, who is Mr. Skeptic, like, I have my feelings about this kind of stuff too, because I've done the 23andMe, mm-hmm. and it brings up, you know, people that are related to me, uh, even by like 1.3%. And they call them cousins, and I have hundreds of them all over the place. I even make jokes sometimes, like when I see a new girl, I'm like, let me see if you're my cousin. <laughs> let, let's check 23 and me. Are you on there? You know, we get a good laugh out of it. And I actually had one person say one time, don't you dare check. Don't you dare. <laughs> We've already slept with each other. Don't you dare check if, we,
1: oh
0: if we're cousins, you pervert. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, all right, you got a good point. I don't want to know either. But uh no, but all joke aside, like you you get on there and and people figure out sometimes through this that they're like they have a different father than they I thought know. they have. I know. This is very common, guys. I hate to say it, it just sucks, but it's true. People are finding out they, you know, that the person they thought was their father isn't their father and all this other stuff. But they're now using what they call this brand new technology, they call it genealogy or AKA, if you ever hear them say investigation genealogy, it's what they're using to track this information down. Now, if you go on 23andMe or Ancestry.com or you send in the samples, supposedly there's a box you can check that says, do not share my genetic information with anybody. Like I just want it for me so I can figure out who my cousins are, so I can figure out what diseases I'm susceptible to genetically or all this other stuff. But uh, you know, what's crazy about it is apparently one of these Zarelli kids, it was one of the grandchildren of Augustus Zarelli did a 23 and me two days later police are knocking on his door whether or not he checked that box god only knows god only knows but your information's out there and i will say this if somebody wants to get it they're gonna get it mm-hmm. just so like i'm living order. in my house right now and i'm like oh i own a home Nothing could ever happen in my home. And then the government comes knocking. We want to build a road here. Eminent domain. Bye. See ya. Good yeah. luck. I'll give you i I'll give you 50% of the value for it because that's what I say it's worth. And you can go ahead and protest with signs out in front of Capitol Hill for the next seven years if you do care. And the reality is, no, they're just going to fucking take it. Yep. Right. Yep. So once this information's there and there's access to it, all it takes is the stroke of a pen of a judge. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: no matter how much privacy you want to have, it's out there, guys. So if you really, really don't want anybody to know this stuff, do not donate your spit or DNA to these places, okay? If you've killed people and you want to get away with it, (laughs) don't see how susceptible to diabetes you are. Okay. Don't. No. <laughs> you don't need to
2: know if your you don't smells need. like you asparagus. No,
0: you don't need to know that bad. But guess what? When your sister donates her DNA, you're still fucked. So does it, <laughs> man. They're gonna find your pathetic little ass hiding in a cabin in the Smoky Mountains. Yes. So that that's where we're at. And guys, when I started digging this up, the funny thing is the. And I'd love for all of you guys to look this up, too, because your mind's going to be blown. The amount of cold cases that were solved in 2022 alone from this new DNA genetic testing. Um, so the way it works is they these family history companies like Ancestry and 23andMe that provide family history and health information have a little box and they say, "Well, if you don't want this to be accessed by law enforcement, check this box." Which, even I, who's not a conspiracy theorist, is going to sit there and go, "This is fucking bullshit." No, I know guess they're going just, to find that's out. That's just
2: for you to feel good about yeah, it. Well, like, you want to check yeah. this box?
1: That's check a false. This will be security. your
0: little. Uh, this will be your little sleeping bag and teddy bear to make you feel comfortable at night. <laughs> check the box; you'll be fine. Don't worry. We'll fuck you in the morning. <laughs> When you wake up and your asshole hurts, you're like, "What is that?" <laughs> no, that's law enforcement. Yeah. They know exactly. They know you stole the vodka in 1997. <laughs> you piece of shit. So, <laughs> so, anyway, they law enforcement says that now they're using this DNA to solve cold cases. They've come out and said it. They said it's one of their most important tools, and they use forensic and and or genetic genealogy. Now, a typical analysis, they check twenty-four areas along a DNA strand, and DNA stands for like something nucleic acid. I can't remember exactly what it is. Sorry, I'm too scientifically illiterate to tell you. <laughs> but uh, something's nucleic like
2: acid. Something. Yeah,
0: yeah. And and with the new uh, advancements in this tech. Instead of 24 areas of the DNA, they can check thousands. So with the thousands that they check, that's where they can get into your family relationships. And they link your family relationships to you. That's how they know who you are, according to your family. And some of these cold cases, the way they're figuring it out with families is they go, well, we know this person's name, but somehow they died in 1905 somehow they were born in 1905 and they're still alive and there's no recollection of their death but we have a DNA sample and we know all their family members that have died and we know the living ancestors of those family members so we now know that you are this person through ancestry Mm. really weird stuff and they're using it in all almost all cold cases are using this Information. So if you think that you're spitting into a cup and they're not checking it, if it links to a cold case, it's pretty much open Good season. Fun. Yeah, they're cu- they're going to knock on your door.
2: They're coming for heads.
0: And, and what's crazy, too, is when you are linked to these, like in the Zarelli case. Like automatically people think you have something to do with something that happened 65 years ago. Yeah, Or that you're somehow linked, like if your parent was a piece of murdering shit, that you probably suffered through their existence, that now you are that way. Mm -hmm. Or that you should suffer for the crimes of whoever. It's all bullshit, guys. Don't ever do that to any human being. Don't ever hold them accountable for the crimes of their parents or siblings or whoever else. Don't do that to people just not fair i know i would never want it done to me i would never do that to anybody else um that's my personal opinion i am going to stick with that
2: well yeah because it's like you said the dad probably didn't even know this kid was ever born so now all of his kids and their grandkids and his cousins and sisters and brothers who never knew this kid existed you have to think that if they did know they would have come forward and claimed him they would have said yes i know yeah do you why would you think that if they saw a picture of that kid that they would just be like nope don't know him that just doesn't make any sense
0: it doesn't and 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 in this particular case they actually dug up uh joseph zarelli again on April 24th, 2019, they put in a court order to exhume the body, and a guy named Dr. Washburn examined it, um, and he obtains the proper amount of DNA in 2019 to do this extended family-type genealogy, like DNA genealogy. Um, So they use that, and then they use the DNA records and they're, and they're, like, trying to put this together, and they're using, like, relatives on the birth mother's side. And they have the mother's side, but they don't have anything from the father's side. all of a sudden, that Augustus Sorelli's niece submitted DNA, and it matched Joseph's. Boom, they got the father's side. All of a sudden, they start checking records. Then they find a record of that Mary Abel, and then the fathers named Augustus Zarelli on the birth certificate. They boom, they knew they had Joseph Augustus Zarelli. That's how they figured it all out through between the records and the DNA. Everything matched. And um
2: wasn't it some lady in Ohio who came up no, with
0: that? I don't know that i don't know i know that the forensic genealogist's name um who figured out betsy's extended she had her whole extended genealogy done before the zarellius um put in their dna was misty gillis yep Misty she gillis is in
1: ohio
2: she is in ohio so he might be- have been she mm-hmm. was a,
0: and she had the whole mother side down but they didn't have anything for the father's
2: but they did find the birth certificate
0: well they did after Gus Zarelli's niece submitted DNA out of nowhere they could link that to the son's or to Joseph Zarelli's DNA guys this took years and they used they used forensic labs all over the world like cuz they didn't even have the technology here they were doing it over in Europe
1: mm-hmm.
0: like people just wanted this case solved and i think we have a pretty good idea um of what happened i think those of you who stayed with us and listened and wanted to know as much information about this case as possible have a pretty good idea of what happened you could probably go to bed tonight thinking you know what this is probably what, probably what happened and even though they just released the um birth father and mother's names about five days ago. I want to tell you what people said about them because I I, I think it's fair to say that the actual birth parents probably had little to nothing to do with anything that happened to this child, unless you want to blame people for giving up a child. Okay. Mm -hmm. But um, Mary Elizabeth Betsy Abel loved skating and dancing, and had an affinity, they said, for Italian boys, obviously. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: uh,
0: and she was described as being very beautiful. As I said before, she was 21 years old when she gave birth to um, Joseph Zarelli. And she had a previous daughter that she had given up for adoption to a Catholic organization. After all this, she became a cashier at a place called Goldman Theater. And that's where she met her future husband, John J. Plunkett. Um, Fast forward. After all this happens, and the Zarelli kid, niece, spits into a cup. Two days later, five policemen are knocking on all of Mary Abel's sister's doors. Every one of them got knocks on their doors wow the abel family only learned about this investigation like two days before a like national news conference probably an international news conference so they have two days to prepare for their names being plastered everywhere imagine this being done to you this just guys this is fucking crazy and one relative said they're absolutely stunned because they remember getting one of the gas utility bills with the picture of the boy in it. Whoa! Having no idea that that child was related to them. Think about that. They remember that. Think about that. And unfortunately, Mary Abel died all the way back more than 30 years ago, guys, in 1991, of lung cancer from asbestos exposure. Wow. that's a, So then there's the father, Augustus, or quote-unquote Gus Sorelli. He went by Gus. He was a concrete and stone mason, and he was the son of Italian immigrants in West Philadelphia. <laughs> The family's saying they are being attacked by every possible media outlet you can imagine right now. And the attorney came out and said, all the claims are completely baseless. And think about that, you guys, and I, and I, I know I'm saying this as a man and I'm not trying to like throw victimhood out here. But I understand that men are more violent By nature, and I understand that this child shares the last name of him, but let's just use logic for five seconds. How is the mother's completely scot-free? But you're gonna attack the father with baseless claims of murder, everything else under the sun. And did the motherfucker probably didn't even know that the child ever even existed?
2: And she probably named him and thank God she did after him.
0: Because I mean, fathers have no, I mean, fathers have zero say in everything that goes on in the beginning of a child's life. Okay. We have to accept whatever comes. If the woman decides to have the child, we are held responsible for child support payments, okay? If the she decides to have an abortion, we have no say over that one way or the other. Whether you believe that's right, wrong, or in between, doesn't matter. That's reality. If she decides to give that child up for adoption, there was probably zero he had say in that. Unless she came to him and well, yeah, said, do and you that... want to have this kid? And he I probably she... never knew.
2: Yeah, well, I think she probably named him after the dad in case she did decide she was going to raise him for the sheer fact of, I can prove that this is your kid and you're going to have to pay me, sucker. This is your son after your namesake. Pay me, sucker. Mm-hmm. And then she was like, you know what? I can't even do this. She's so like,
0: I'm 21. 20 yeah. I don't even know where Augustus Zarelli is right now. It's 19. 19- You know, I can't get on his Instagram. Mm -hmm. He's not Snapchatting me right now. I don't even know what job he's on. It's not worth my time. I'm not even in (laughs) love with him. He kind of smelled bad. I don't really like him that much. There's a guy at the movie theater I like a little bit more. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. So she decides, you know, she's talking to her father. And her father's like, "I'm, you know, maybe look for a family to sell the child to and make some money. Mm Mm-hmm. And move on with your life. For 21 years old, you'll find a husband and, you, you know, we'll just vet the family and make sure, like we talked about before. But this fact that the, that the media instantly went to the father with baseless claims, the person who has the least that could possibly have to do with it.
2: Other than it's just, just, just insane being to me.
0: It just shows the bias all across the board, father, man, must be the killer, must have had something to do with it. It's like the mother had all the control in that situation.
2: And it wasn't a dude that the guy pulled over to the side of the road and saw with the trunk popped open.
0: Oh, I know, but they don't care.
1: They don't don't care. care.
0: Nobody cares. Who cares about facts when we've got feelings here? (laughs) <laughs> i've got so, a couple feelings
2: they're Get just, those
0: facts out of my face
2: they're just basing it on the fact that he was the dad that he had something to do with it right
0: i don't know what they're basing it on but they're coming at the family and uh you know the zarellis are like hey everybody the police are telling us nothing We have little to no information from the police. They're not revealing anything and they probably won't because it is a cold case and they're not going to tell anybody what they know, what they don't know. Um, The attorney has come out and said, we're not sure Gus Zarelli ever had any knowledge of the child's existence at all. I mean, they can't even find information showing that the parents ever met Mm -hmm. they don't even know how these parents ever met let alone if he ever knew that the child was born
2: because it was Uh, probably like a one-night stand like you said or just they were just hooking up because he lived in the same building as her sister yeah
0: they do know that uh, they're definitely sure he's never had any connection to any harm being done to the child, they know that for sure he's not been anywhere near any harm being done to the child he
2: had other kids and none of them I know up in a box
0: I know and i I'll tell you what else I know he He was five years older than her uh than Mary when they met and had a had a kid, so he was probably twenty six or twenty seven when she gave birth um Later on in his life, he got married in in 1958, and he started a construction and real estate business. And uh, all his children loved him, guys. They loved him. And I understand that there's family dynamics out there sometimes, to be fair, where parents single out one kid for some reason and just, like, abuse the one kid or beat the one kid or talk down to the one kid. And we don't know why that is. But Mm -hmm. all his kids loved him. And I have a feeling that if he would have known and he would have known this kid was his or whatever, it probably would have been the same. Like he probably would have loved the kid, you know, Mm
1: -hmm. and I'm
0: sure Mary Abel would have too. If if the circumstances would have been different. I have a feeling that they would have raised the kid and loved Mm -hmm. the child. Okay. Yeah. She thought what she was doing was right and giving the child a better life. That is my opinion.
2: Mine too. Mine too.
0: Uh Gus Zarelli ends up passing away in 2014 at the age of 87. Uh, and like I said earlier, uh some of his rel- relatives actually went to uh Joseph's rededication at Ivy Hill Cemetery uh when they when they changed the headstone over. So that's oh my- information I have about the parents.
2: One thing I also want to include just in case one of the listeners wants to come sideways that we didn't mention is how they pointed out that he was circumcised.
0: That's true. Yes, he was circumcised.
2: So, I think that happened when the child was in the care of the bio mom.
0: Probably at, like at the hospital like Yeah. And it would make sense, you know, she Uh, her first child the daughter she gave to a catholic charity so maybe she was catholic
2: she was catholic yeah was it the catholic charity where the boy was found on the outside of
0: no um that was just a wayward school for well but it was a wayward house for girls and mm -hmm. it was also run by catholics the nuns they I think they called it like the sisters of something sisters of wayward something or whatever uh ran that place I I I, the name I don't I think I have it in my notes somewhere but I don't have it in front of me um but it was catholic but it wasn't like a, a charity for for like adoption
2: I just you know the whole story thank god it's been solved you know but This was a dicey area of town where people were dumping trash anyways, so she probably picked that spot because she knew it would be a while before they found him.
0: And the time of the year, Mm -hmm. it was hard to pinpoint exactly when he was dumped, how long he'd been there, how long he had been dead. Mm-hmm. As far as decomposition, you have less insects at that time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: The body's not going to smell for a right. while. I mean, whether she thought that or not, but they didn't try to bury it, right? It's put brush it's over just, it. it. It's
2: just the total disregard for human life. And again, that's the the these sick pedos and all this. They do disregard human life. So it just fits her whole demeanor.
1: Mar- you have to
0: be a completely different type of person. And they blend in very well. And I truly don't understand it. I, I, I really can't. Like, I think a lot of fascination uh, people have with stuff like this is just the mentality of how different you have to be to do it.
2: The mentality and the spirituality behind it.
0: How detached you are from things. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Like how detached you are from understanding another human being's humanity or existence or whatever. I mean, can I kill animals? Yes, I can to eat. You know, if if I have to eat, can I kill an animal? I can personally do that. Maybe some other people can't even do that. But when I look at somebody that kills animals for fun or gets some kind of enjoyment
2: Hell no. out of
0: torturing something, nope. it, that and takes it, a special type of person.
2: On that point, I feel like if he didn't bash his head on the tub or the wall, where wherever he ended up bashing his head that killed him this would have continued for years you guys just like with Martha oh you know
0: but they didn't even have a plan I don't think they ever had a plan of putting this boy in school teaching him anything
2: he was going to be like a dungeon person yep Mm -hmm. and
0: and probably would have died eventually of malnutrition or something or some disease or infection or
2: that's why he wasn't (laughs) vaccinated
0: Mm-hmm. But what? Here's the thing. What are these surgical scars, Lord? If we know whatever, was she working on him?
2: She was like cutting him and stuff.
0: She's down there for long periods of time, mm-hmm. doing God only knows what for years.
1: Yeah,
2: it's and just that like... also goes along with what Martha was saying because, you know, she's talking about her mom going down in the basement for. Hours and hours and hours, and then popping back up, mm-hmm. and then we find these scars all over the kid. It's like, well, yeah, what was she doing down
1: there, cutting on him and stuff? It's sick and depressing. And whatever she was doing
0: wasn't for his benefit. No, I can be sure of that.
1: Hmm. Hmm.
0: Nothing was ever done for that kid's benefit. No. And at that age, they're complete dependents. They need somebody else to do everything for them.
2: You know what I just thought of, Brian? They probably went to Marjorie's school and asked if anyone had seen him. Because they went to all the schools, you remember?
0: Oh, and I'm sure that Davis family got that picture in the gas bill. Mm -hmm. 400 and some thousand of those things sent out and it was the talk of the town and it was on television it was nationwide and it's in magazines and it's been talked about for years since
2: i bet she went to all the candlelight vigils i bet she went to all of the you know, so she probably was sitting around in the school lunch area and was like, can you believe about that boy that they found? I mean, these are sick, twisted, depraved animals.
0: Well, and the thing is, too, and I know we're, again, we're speculating. But the question comes up is, you know, it never bothered anybody that never bothered either one of them enough to one admit to it. Right. To to confide in another human being about it. That ever came forward, so it gives me this suspicion. Because you enjoy that sort of thing. Did you also enjoy the fact that you know you killed them and got away with it? Did you get this little bit of satisfaction out of it? Absolutely. Every time somebody brought it up, you knew you were the one who did it. So, you you got away with it. Nothing ever happened to you.
2: And you know they can keep secrets because it was the husband and the wife.
0: Mm-hmm. It was their little thing. It
1: mm-hmm.
0: was their little, you know, some some people, you know, everybody's got secrets. Everybody's got their little thing. Um, it's always like the quiet ones that have the the <laughs> sexual, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Things going on they're the swingers you didn't know about or they but uh, all right, shit, all that stuff's legal. You guys want to share partners, you want to do whatever you're adults, do whatever the hell you want. that's your business. you know uh, you, you can have boyfriends and girlfriends on the side or orgies or whatever. It's all adults making consensual decisions and living their lives perfectly fine. Do whatever the hell you want, but when it comes to unconsensual kids. See, and that's you're, and that your little sexual pedophilia ring, and you're having people come over, like Martha says, and there's a whole st- group of people that would come over and take turns doing mm-hmm. their sick and depraved shit to children. I mean, we still deal with this stuff today. There's pedophilia all over the place.
1: Yeah, and in- people
0: are all over society. Some of them are amongst us, and we have no clue. Day every day,
2: how many of those people, though, in that ring that Martha was talking about, saw the picture and knew who that boy was and never said anything because they'd have to say how they knew him, Mm
0: -hmm. and it would all be exposed, and their pedophilia would be exposed, yes. And they knew if they said something, and, and that's part of it, they all know they've got something on each other, yes. And, and they're all sitting works. in that way. And let's face it. I even just saw something today on it. And there's a little piece of me that have, it's not a little piece of me. I'm, I'm going to be blatantly honest with everybody out there. When I hear about these people getting killed in prison, I don't give a shit. Me either. I don't give a, I don't care in the least. I don't want to pretend like I care. Mm-hmm. When I hear that they that other prisoners don't want to be around them, Other prisoners say I have kids at home. Yeah, I fucked up. Yeah, I sold drugs. Yeah, I killed somebody that, you know, I caught fucking my wife or whatever. Uh, And now I'm in prison, serving my time. But I don't want to be in here with this fucking maggot that Mm -hmm. brags every single day about molesting children in front of me. So I sharpened a uh, toothbrush and stabbed him in the neck. I don't care. (laughs) I don't shed one tear. As a matter of fact, I'm like, they should kind of give these guys medals. I
1: know. I know, Brian. I know. That's how I am.
0: Mm -hmm. That's 100% how I am. I'm like, fuck them. Mm -hmm. Who cares? You castrate them in prison? I don't give a shit.
2: And they're proud of what they've done.
0: They are. They brag about it in prison. That's one of the things that a lot of Other prisoners will say, like, I couldn't listen to it anymore. Like Mm -hmm. I'd listen to them go back and forth and like rub it in people's faces. Some of them rub it in the other prisoners' faces. You think that they try to keep it on the DL, and some of them probably do. But I've heard stories about them like watching kids' cartoons in prison and then like talking about how what they do to kids in front of everybody. Like, are you that fucking stupid? You think these people in here, just because they're prisoners, don't have families? that they actually give a shit about? Yeah, some of them don't, but a lot of them do.
2: But think about the moral compass that even a murderer who shot somebody or who was doing a drug deal that went wrong or somebody who did this or that, they can't even stand pedophiles.
0: Nobody can. Dude, if I'm in there because I didn't pay my taxes and you're going to stick me in a fucking cell with this guy? Are you kidding me? That would put me on, I have three kids and you're going to sit there and brag every day about how you like touched a little boy's genitals or did this or that to a girl. I know that's that's underage and I'm going to sit there and I'm supposed to stomach it every day. I'm supposed to serve my time. And and yeah, maybe, you know, somebody will be like, Hey, I'm going to make you my bitch or something. Okay. Whatever, whatever, you know, I'm serving (laughs) my time, whatever, but I have to sit in there and listen to somebody, fucking talk about that shit, I'd be sharpening the toothbrush, mm-hmm. and I'm perfectly that's what, sane. That's what like, I got. Jeffrey shut Dahmer.
2: Hmm. They killed Jeffrey Dahmer because he was bragging. He was getting fan mail.
0: A lot of those people do. It's creepy, you know. There, there's creepy. a whole group out there that that love the serial killers and. Like, when I say love, I mean, they're not just interested in the story. Like, they've fallen in love with them for what yeah. they've done.
1: hmm hmm
2: They think that because they're in prison, if they wrote them a letter and they write back to them that, you know, oh, and they're in love with them, that they wouldn't have been a victim if that dude ever got their hands on them.
0: Or they don't even care. It's like this perverted fantasy of theirs. Like, they're like, oh. yeah, kind of like... You know, I don't oh I kinda like my butt smacked. Well, guess what? There's a little difference between getting your butt smacked and a little bit of bondage and getting stabbed eighty-four times by a (laughs) serial killer and back. It's not as sexy. Okay? That's not how you want to get wet, people.
1: I think
2: that's a good note to end it on. (laughs) (laughs) Tell everybody what's going on with the Cleveland Shwell podcast.
0: Oh, I will. Hey, anybody wants to come on over to the Cleveland Shwell, we invite everyone. We've been uh, interviewing a lot of small businesses and uh, talking to artists in the Cleveland area. We're always doing little uh, different things, you know, just just talking to people and keeping it rolling. And I I think everything's been going really good and and it's been very interesting. You know, your brother, my cousin, Dave is my co-host and we keep it light and we keep it very funny and entertaining. And we learn a lot along the way.
1: Mm -hmm. So,
0: Anybody who wants to come over and and check us out sometime now, we don't get as deep (laughs) as the boy in the box over there. And we don't start talking about sharpening our toothbrushes and who we're going to stab. <laughs> but I'm not saying it's off the table because we will talk about anything over there. So
2: I think you guys should cover the torso murders.
0: Yeah, we we, we should. I, I think we should dedicate an episode to it. There's a couple people that are in Cleveland that have written um, actual true crime novels about, about stuff. About that- it? Well, not just about the torso murders, about other things that have happened in Cleveland. We've had very strange Cleveland cases. Here's a couple of the national ones that I I do. I I called a detective that worked on a couple of these cases, but never heard anything back. So I emailed them and he never got back to me.
2: That But but one, one,
0: and they even made a movie about Ariel Castro. And Ariel Castro held three women for years prisoner in his house and he would impregnate them. And That was a recent one. Yes. They ended up eventually tearing his house down and he hung himself in jail before he ever went to trial. Mm -hmm. But if you're interested in that case, his name was Ariel Castro. Crazy story. Uh, Three women abducted and everybody thought they were dead. Mm-hmm. And then all three of them are found in his house. Yes. Um and then there was another guy named Anthony Sowell out here. He was a serial killer. This is another recent one. There's documentaries that were recent. Maybe they're still on Amazon if you guys want to watch the story. He went after women that had, like, cocaine or more crack addictions on the east side of Cleveland, which is a, uh, more of a ghetto in Cleveland. Um, and he figured, hey, nobody cares about these women. I'm going to go after them. And one of the women that survives, craziest story, She's she's high. They've been smoking crack together. She's high as can be, and they've been, like, having sex in bed or whatever. And she's like, the place smelled really bad or whatever. So she starts, like, she knows she's high as fuck, but she's, like, trying to walk to the bathroom, says she's got to get to the bathroom. As she's walking, she turns to the right and sees on her way to the bathroom, like, different body parts just hanging from the ceiling. And she's like, am I I high in seeing this, or is it really there, or whatever? Runs down the stairs like screaming. Runs out into the street. She's like naked, running down the street, high on fucking crack. So by the time she sees police, they're like, "Okay, we got a crack. We got a crack. <laughs> <laughs> we got, we got a, another naked crack out of here." So they don't believe a word. <laughs> That she says, unfortunately. <laughs> Cause when they get when they <laughs> when they get back to the house, they realize <laughs> this motherfucker's killed everybody and buried them all over the house. Under the house. <laughs> the place smelled so bad, they were like blaming it. <laughs> there was a <laughs> they started blaming <flipping laughs> on a sausage factory <laughs> that was just down the street. And this sausage factory was like changing their their uh, their ways down there, trying to figure out why this place smells so bad. <laughs> no. Meanwhile, Anthony Sowell's killed everybody in the neighborhood and buried them <laughs> on his property. And the oh bodies God. are stinking everything up thanks to a crack <laughs> and if somebody if anybody would have just listened to the naked crackhead running down the street we wouldn't have had these problems wow <laughs> but, but you know i mean i know it's funny because it is funny to hear that but it's the reality mm-hmm. that was when i want to get some i want to get that story
2: you need to cover it on the <laughs> cleveland show podcast and when i do i'm gonna
0: let you guys all know and come on over for a little bit of that information when we i'll
2: share it that. on my end if if you if you and my brother make an episode about that i'll share all the links on my instagram so the listeners can go <laughs> and check that out
0: <laughs> and i hope we took this this heavy topic and you guys were able to get even if it was a dark laugh, get a couple of dark laughs out.
1: <laughs> I because, think
0: so. Yeah. Yeah. That's but I hey I I hey everybody, all you cosmic peach listeners, I, I hey I guys I always appreciate you guys uh your feedback on our episodes. Um thanks a lot for anything nice you've ever said about me. I do appreciate it. Because I do take a lot of time to research these topics. I love coming on Cosmic Beach, but then I also hate coming on Cosmic Beach because for like three weeks I'm like diving into all this information (laughs) and all these details. I'm writing all these notes. It takes me two hours to organize my notes before I come on. So I hope you guys got something out of it.
2: Yeah, no big deal. Yeah. (laughs) Just just three weeks of your life down the tubes but that's all right it's all for the episode
0: it's all for the episode it's and and you know what in this particular case i i hope that this information gets out there to more people and and those who listen to it share what i discovered with other people Mm -hmm. and be like hey this is what happened and this is what we know and and uh also know that there is a, a book written about M's experience in detail. Well, where they go into, uh, she goes into even more detail than what I listed about what happened to quote unquote Jonathan. But you can get a good picture of like what she says happened. And,
2: well, know. I think what I'll do is if I can find the book on Amazon, I might put the link in the show notes in case somebody wants to go and get that book and read it for themselves and just check that out
1: oh
2: yeah um i'll also put the cleveland schwill podcast in the show notes in case somebody wants to check out your great work over there oh
0: i'd love that we love i love to have any of you guys come over and listen whenever you want send me a message on instagram because i'm just a normal person uh working the, n- the nine to five just like you so
1: mm-hmm. anything you
0: guys ever say constructive criticism or otherwise i listen so, same
1: here
2: well thank you so much for joining us tonight Brian and thank you to the listeners and we will catch you on the next one